One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that explores the way music brings us back to memories as a means of getting to know our guests in intimate ways. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this episode is artist Neil Bender. Neil was born in Perth, Amboy, New Jersey, and currently lives and works in Florida. His artwork has been shown nationally and internationally, including at the St. Petersburg Museum of Fine Arts, Boston Center for the Arts, the Q Art Foundation in New York, the Atlanta Contemporary Art Center, Palazzo Cassandra, Sali in Cortona, Italy, Circa PR in San Juan, and many other venues in cities like New Orleans, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, Los Angeles, and Nashville. Neil received the Joan Mitchell Foundation MFA grant after getting his degree from the University of Georgia, attended the Scohegan School of Painting and Sculpture, the Painting's Edge Residency in Idlewild, California, and the Vermont Studio Center. He shows with Tempest Projects and is co-founder of the Artist Collective and Gallery Quaid in Tampa, where he is Associate Professor of Painting and Drawing at the University of South Florida. He's in town for an exhibit at the Wasmer Art Gallery here at FGCU, featuring both his work and the work of artist Jen Ray for an exhibit called Blind Date, which we'll learn more about starting now. Hey there, Neil. Hi. Nice to meet you. It's awesome to be here. Um, I said we were going to learn more about your exhibit starting now, but first we're going to go to the thing that you had on your bio that I didn't add about your New Jersey-based rap band, Suave Prospects, yes. that's on temporary hiatus. We are on Let's te- start there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like throwing that in. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it somehow parallels or, or meets up with some, some of my work, but we, we all live in different places and grew up now. I live here and teach in Florida. Right. My f- one friend moved to Cleveland. He has two kids. My one friend is in rural New Jersey. So we all splintered. But um, we formed this band on New Year's Eve 2000 because okay. we were bored and were scared of the apocalypse. So right, we were right. like, uh, let's just start doing dumb stuff. And it was super embarrassing. But at a certain point, we took it really seriously. I always tell people, like, we're surprisingly not that bad. Oh, yeah? I actually kind of um, missed, missed the fact did that Did you play out at all? Did you, was it more I think of we a, did like about a house two, band? We did about two shows, like a birthday party and stuff. But we, the problem was, like, we got too serious. So we were like, okay, now we have to do, like, seven takes. Like, when we first started, we'd do, like, ten songs in a day. Right. And it was pretty rough. And then we, like, started to kind of get good and produce the thing. And then... You know, life good, took over. And good we enough to be, be dangerous around. and then life got in the way. Maybe you guys have a reunion someday, like if you're all in the same town. We still, uh, yeah, you know, when we drop the kids off and then uh, spend two days just being he- hedonistic again or something <laughs> like that. Roger. Um, OK, so let's just talk briefly about this exhibit that you're in town for. Your name and Jen's name came up during John Lasciuto's episode. So you guys are here. You're putting together the exhibit. Everything going OK? Yeah, I've been here for about a week, and Jen came down because I did a, a wall painting specifically on site, so I knew that would take a little time, and I wanted to get that done before Jen came. And um, yeah, right now, actually, uh, most of what we're doing is putting lighting on things and um, plugging in uh, electronic devices and um, writing um, stuff on the walls. And you're doing a wall painting, meaning it's going to go away 
It will go it, away. It will only live in photo. It will, uh, alas, it will die. How often do you do that sort of work? And I've is tried there, to do is, them is a there lot. A, is there an additional layer of pressure because there's a deadline and there's a one-shot kind of thing? I will say for this one, I, I normally just kind of react to the space and freehand it. This one, I, I made a drawing that could be projected so people could kind of help trace it. Gotcha. <laughs> just for the economy. So, and then what is the nature of the exhibit? It's you guys hadn't really met before this. It's a, it's like a distance collaboration. I, this is where I really want to give um, John Lasciuto a lot of credit. He's really um, ambitious in pairing together artists um, from from different places. Usually, I think at least one Florida, and then he kind of tries to find someone who isn't um, familiar with you know familiar to people. In the area, and um, he me at first when I saw Jen's work, I didn't kind of get it, but I really then after, after especially after meeting her and looking at her work, there's this undercurrent. Mm-hmm. So I think he tries to find the, a deeper connection than just oh, this work looks alike. Hmm. So he's and and with all the stuff with having us come in to do this, he's bringing in the jazz quintet to mm-hmm. do a performance, which we heard a pra- practice of yesterday. It's amazing; those guys are amazing. Um, so he's really like gone all out, and I can't give him enough credit for how he's run this thing. Cool, and we are so happy to support him and art in general on this show. Um, what is the earliest musical memory you can recall? That's a good one. I I do kind of remember my dad playing uh, acoustic guitar on the bed and me like sitting there watching him. He played Blackbird, I remember, mm-hmm. particularly. Um, and just about him, like he, in the 70s, he has like slides from every major concert that happened in New York and New Photo Jersey. Photo slides. Like, ah. get out the, the yeah, screen. Yeah, yeah, The and carousel. He has George Harrison. He went to every concert hmm. in the 70s. It's kind of amazing. He's actually in, there's a second in The Song Remains the Same, the Led Zeppelin movie. He's very tall. <laughs> you could see, like, the silhouette of his head. Or so, so he tells you. So he tells me. He could be, he could be lying. Um, so it, was he a photographer professionally or was that just a passion of his? No, to go he's to... actually an artist too, but it's, that's not his full time. He's, 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 he's made – he makes like nautical, naval, marine art. And um, he, he played casually, but he really loved going to concerts. And he took, he took a lot of f- photographs. Those so. slides still exist somewhere? They still exist. They've been digitized yet? It sounds yeah. like that might – you want to get into Uh-oh. that. He's going to make me do it. Yeah, I know. He's listening right now. (laughs) You know, you can just Google. There's – yeah, anyway. That's a good Um, birthday present. uh, So what was being played like around the house? You know, know, not just, you know, on his guitar. Sure, yeah. Um, Well, he was a big Crosby, Stills, and Nash person. I will say like one of the deeper connections – I guess I remember a lot of like – and I'm, I might shoot shoot down one of your questions in conjunction with this. That's fine. My first concert was Paul Simon. two days after he did his solo concert in Central Park in 1991. And I remember one, I guess an early music memory is him um, putting on the Paul Simon Graceland in Africa concert because that was such a big phenomenon. And then it was great that that was like the first show I saw right after he did Central Park in 91 and he still had a lot of like the African drummers and stuff. Yeah. So it was, I mean, that's, it's one of those first concert experiences that, you know, some people have like, you know, I saw... 
what's a bad band? I don't know. But like that one, I'm like, that's I a saw, solid first. I saw the Monkees on a reunion tour in the 80s at the Charlotte County Fair as my first concert. That's pretty, so, the Monkees is pretty good. I don't know if good. that's great or bad. I, <laughs> the reunion thing's always tough, right? Yeah. It's like the Beach Boys. Right. Do you want to see the Beach Boys now? Um, oh. so, so I had to look up where, where Perth Amboy is. You're like packed, you're southern New York. I mean, you're right there across from Staten Island. So where would you have seen that first concert if he'd played Central Park? It must have been somewhere down toward Philly. Or... It was, yeah, it was, I don't remember. I want to say it's Holmdale, New Jersey. There's a place called the, it was, I don't know what it's called now. It's corporate, but it was the Garden State Arts Center. And it was like an amphitheater. It was like 5,000 people. There was like a lawn that you could sit on. Gotcha. But luckily, and it was very generous of my, of my folks, it was raining. And we had two tickets under the dome. And two out, and they let me be one of the ones. That, oh. So I didn't get rained on at my first concert. Um, were you uh, always uh, headed toward artists? Did you tote around a sketchbook when you were a kid? I don't I, – I think um, there's a realization when I was trying to play uh, baseball in high school my freshman year that um, someone hit a pop fly and I was 30 feet away from it. And I was like, I guess I'll be an artist. Um, <laughs> but it was encouraged. My parents really support. My dad, again, my dad, both both my parents um, were very supportive and uh, have their own artistic uh, inclinations to this day. My mother sews and knits a lot, and um, so they they were always supportive, and you know, they they helped me through college. So yeah, it's a, it's been kind of since. Since late high school, I figured I would be in this field. So this somehow. is kind of what you wanted to be when you grow up. I, I can't do nothing else. Right. <laughs> How long did you, uh, you know, you went to college. Did you start teaching early soon after that? How long have you been teaching? Pretty close. I mean, it's it's kind of, you know, I, I caught it at a good moment. Um, after I got to grad school, I think about two years, I kind of was poor and struggled. And then I uh, was lucky enough to get a job at USF. Hmm. How long have you been there? Uh, too long. Um, fourteen years. Now. Do you know uh, know or know of Stick Martin? I listen to some of um. He's our yeah. He's 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 half of yeah, our. Yeah, you, you guys are right there. And yeah. Anyway, they thought maybe he was infamous enough to have crossed your path. Um, bulls. <laughs> uh, is music part of your artistic process? It's funny because um, I guess it's one of the reasons probably John thought of us doing this is that um. It it comes into there's certain works in the show actually that I feel like once once John set this up and was talking about this and the jazz quintet we made playlists for it so um, it's definitely in in part it comes up in parts of the work I would never make a, a work that I say illustrates a song but maybe like there's attitudes from songs and I would say when I when I work in the studio I, I have this weird. Um, uh, tick where I like to play the same song on repeat over and over so really? I totally lose track of time because if you listen to a record you know like oh I've been working for about an hour so sometimes I'll just put like one song on a that's loop that's so smart I will often listen to the same album over and over when I'm doing that, something creative like that it, but it you're helps. right though it marks time in a different way that I don't lose sense of it as much it, it, it kind of you know I have to have headphones because if someone else is in the, the studio I'll drive them crazy but it, do, it, it does help and hmm. puts you in a really weird, like, mental state. What's the song that you most recently worked to? I would say, um, what was, uh, well, he's one of my artists for this, but Beck's Girl, which is from his Guero record. That's a good song to have on. It has to be a poppy song, I, I find. Do you ever reuse the same song for a different piece of art? Hmm. I don't do a one to one like that. No, not necessarily. No. Okay. Do you, so do you have songs? Just whatever you, you know. 
Do you have a song that you've returned to multiple times that like comes to mind? You're like, oh yeah, I've really almost worn out this one. Wu Tang Clan's Triumph. Hmm, okay. Um, all right. Well, let's get to your first song. Uh, what you, this is Sledgehammer. So, mm-hmm. what do you want to do here? It's a, a story first, story after. I think I want to preface it because one of the reasons. Um, well, I'll say my association with it, I think, is primarily visually at first because, you know, when I was 10. The video. The video was like – I still think I'm – don't quote me. I think it might be like the most played video on MTV. I would not be surprised. Thriller might it, be ahead of it. I don't know. But I remember hearing that. I and certainly it, remember it as part of those early days of MTV. So, I mean, as a kid, I was just like – you know, I think the people who helped animate that did Wallace and Gromit or oh, other really? claymation That makes things. sense. And it's just so meticulous. And I think, you know, he's always been, um, you know, kind of this transcendent trailblazer figure. And I also feel like I remember Sinead O'Connor saying something about, like, working with him in the mid-'90s. And he he was like like a father figure. And my dad's a, he's a great guy. But there's always something about Peter Gabriel's presence that seems soothing, even though he's wildly audacious. And I think um, that video is very – um, audacious for a visual person that kind of sensory popness was was very important and I also like I re-listened to I rebought it on vinyl not that long ago and the song has such you know it's very synthy 80s but I actually think the lyrics kind of betray or belie that kind of like super sugary popness I think it's like this really strange song about kind of a him the the character being like a supplicant and um, it has like a weird almost like domination kind of feel to it. And I think that kind of turn is a is a really attractive thing to me. So I have this like – I love – and I've also um, – one of my favorite concert experiences was I got to see him in, in Venice, Italy in St. Mark's Square. And I always associate – one of the things I think um, I think about that in the song is because when he – when he performs it, he'll often like take his hands and pound his head like he's the – in the song, you know, I'll be your sledgehammer, but I feel like he's the one who's incurring the kind of, uh, I don't want to say pain, but the the physicality or something. Hmm. So I guess that, that'll that be my intro. Okay, well, yeah, let's listen to it. And I'm really looking forward to listening to it because I'm obviously familiar with the song and I remember the video well, but I haven't really listened to it closely for a very long time. So let's do that now. This is uh, Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel from his 1986 album, So. So what's going through your head when you're grokking that song? It's crazy. I mean, it's it's it. You know, there's all those like weird little sound effects. It's and some of that is so dated, I think. But I just, I mean, it's some of the imagery. I I, I just love how he creates this kind of I don't know, just this tension back and forth. And I feel like that's some of what I try to do in my work. I guess in a way, like. You know, at one point he says – he's saying this song. He says, this will be my testimony. And then kind of later he starts like, this can be my testimony. Hmm. And then at the end he's just talking about rhythmic. I think, you know, a lot of the imagery, you know, is like tongue-in-cheek, kind of coy, playful, like phallic-y kind of stuff. Right. But I also think like it's – you know, he talks about shedding his skin and there's this kind of rawness to it. And that's why I think it kind of betrays that kind of – you know, how we think of it as this like slick – pop song right so to me that's a, that's a really important part and I, I i guess i want to reclaim sledgehammer from uh just being this kind of you know 80s pop sensation i think it kind of is a real a real weird song about sexuality or something to me you know it's interesting listening to it again 
you know, not even necessarily through like the lens of what you had described. I was 14 when that song came out. And I remember just knowing there was something more, not really getting what was going on. And now I'm 46 and I kind of <laughs> can see more in there. <laughs> well, it's funny because I always think like he did the song called Steam on his next record, which is on – that's on Us. And it's basically a redo of Sledgehammer. It's, a, it's actually a little more, I think, even more suggestive than this. I think it's just a play on – just a raw play on sex. I think this is more about the the psychology of giving like, – I want to. I'm going to find this in you, building power. There's all this kind of like. I love the. I love the end of that song. I love the kind of propulsion and the mm-hmm. backup singers. It really like gains. This is the new stuff. Like he's like raw material or something. It almost felt at the time like it was a song from the future or something. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, it's, yeah, it did seem yeah because it's so like you know there's so much. Sound and like you know clinical and there's so much. And the video was so like oh that was max headroomy and all that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But Um, it was good because it was digital. And that's one thing I think he he's always thought about is like the progression of music, how it's going to change through digital means or whatever. He's always been, and I admire him as an artist for that. No, absolutely. Um, You mentioned earlier that did you say you bought the did you bought the do you have records? I, yeah, I'm you a vinyl guy. So, so you. Uh, one of my questions sometimes is, when was the last time you bought music that had a physical form? Obviously, for you, that's still all the time. Yeah, we actually bought some records um, to play in the show. Oh, okay, there will be a record player with speakers, and you can come in and look at a few of them. Do you have uh, just an old school turntable and some speakers? Do you have a really nice sound system? Like, I what's have, your home setup? My receiver is the same receiver I've had since 1991. It's a JVC that. Cheers to that. My dad got. Dad, you're getting a big shout out today. We bought this thing and it's lasted. Um, I got a newer record player, but this receiver, I spilled milk on it one time. I thought it was going to crap the bed and this thing is chugging. So, um, And I have decent speakers. I don't have a real high-tech system. But. Do you use um, Bluetooth to Alexa or any of that other stuff around the house too? Um, well, my my, um, my stereo soul, it doesn't have Bluetooth accessibility. Right. So I, I didn't to, know if you had like other ways to do it. While I, you I, I, I listen well, – if I'm in the studio, obviously, I'll have a I, – I do like having Bluetooth headphones. But there is something nice, again, that physicality where I kind of have to – be in the room when I play vinyl. I, I can't just skip around. Like you have to go through, right. you know, You have aside. to be attentive to it. Yep. yep. Um, what was the first music that you can remember owning yourself? A thriller on cassette tape. Ah, nice. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm perfectly of that era where I was like six or seven. So, I mean, Michael Jackson, you know, I, I, I wasn't hugely into music. I remember vividly like wearing that out. And um, and Genesis Invisible Touch, P- Invisible Touch post Peter Gabriel Genesis, which mm. uh, you know kind of went to crap in my opinion after <laughs> after that record. But I love that record. Um, you're probably about the right age for mixtapes. Do you ever make or uh, give or receive mixtapes? Oh yeah, I mean that was you know. We just do it all the time. It just it almost felt Especially like a being weekly, an artist. I think the artist oh, and you, of that age, how you write tapes. them, yeah, and the cover put art, and actually a, a strange thing because I feel like even cassettes, vinyl got cool again. I feel like cassettes are even having a kind of a comeback. They are, and there's a there's a art show I did in Tampa um, at Tempest Projects called Mixtape, where um, the the curator commissioned artists to make mixtapes. And she got me a spe- – I have affinity for the color pink and she got this old Sony boombox that was pink colored. 
That was great. I still have it. And I made a, a very visual uh, – so that's probably the last like physical cassette tape I made. But Do you have the, a way to listen to cassette tapes? I still have – well, I still have that thing. And so actually the, my so old JVC receiver has a dual cassette it, it, Oh, so you've got that covered. It still works. <laughs> still still going since 92. Um, OK. So live music, you mentioned your first show. Um, what was maybe your most memorable show besides that one, one that you've thought can, back can to? Can I save that to tie it into my third, story, my third song? Yeah. Would that be possible? Yeah, we can just, I will, we'll I will just definitively hold answer off that. on that. We'll just hold off on that now. So uh, what's – unless it's the same answer, what's the furthest you've ever traveled to see a band? Have you ever gone on a road trip or flown or anything like that? Like to specifically just to, to see the well, concert? Yeah, yeah to, to make made travel plans in order to see music. I don't think so. Usually I've had, I've had the opportunity to like teach abroad and whenever I go to a place, I'll be like, oh, what's coming up? So – I would say the, the most affinity of that is I was in Paris when Lou Reed, um, nay rest in peace, um, was doing his um, touring visual spectacle of the album Berlin, and it was a it was a limited run, and um, I would say I made extensive efforts to see that, but I was already there, so I don't know if that counts. How much time do you spend at Skipper's Smokehouse? Oh, I love <laughs> Skipper's Smokehouse. It's. I live very close that to Skipper's. That was a dangerous question for me. I, you know, you could have no. said, huh? It's still one of the best places to eat. I will say I, I saw um, the Black Keys there before they got nice. big. And nice. I saw um, uh, uh, Jonathan Richmond of oh, Modern yeah, yeah, Lovers. Yeah. Oh, I saw oh John- my gosh. Oh, I love oh, Skipper's. Have you ever seen Dan Byrne? You know Dan Byrne at all? You need to. He goes to Skipper. He, when he comes through Florida, you need to check him out. The okay. dude with a guitar that will. Okay. Oh, I love Skipper. Shout out to Skippers. Yeah, exactly. And MNF. And MNF. Go W. A lot of times I go up there to see shows, and they'll be like, they'll have their little booth set up or whatever. So. Joellen, Art Nier, love you. Oh, cheers to that. Um, all right, we are moving on to song two. Um. I don't know if I want to talk about it first or not. Um. I would I, I would say um, you know I'll, I'll just preface it by saying REM is a, I'll talk about it after I guess but they're an amazing they're the most important influence probably on me and I, I picked this song because it's not one of the normal ones I think it's like one of their strangest darkest songs but it's also sugary at the same time so um, uh, the lyrics are really deep and they they mean a lot to me so I'll, and i actually had an interaction with michael stipe about about this song so i'll talk about that all right after. well then uh, let's listen to it this is tongue by rem off their 1994 album monster i would never have guessed that was rem if i heard that mm. song out of context mm-hmm. so yeah where did that come from <laughs> i you know I, I, i'll i'll try to be quick i mean i th- Again, I was listening to Michael Jackson and Phil Collins. I think sometime around 89, my mom probably had green on or something. I was like, you know, the, this is like there's abstraction in the lyrics. There's something about R.E.M. that had this different kind of artistic potential. It wasn't Absolutely. just linear. Oh, no. Yeah. Right. So I really would say, you know, I, I caught them, you know, right when they were getting super huge. And um, this is the first time I got to see them tours during this record. And um, – that song is just yeah, it is out of nowhere. I mean, it's like it's almost this, kind of like a fifties vibe. I was gonna way. say it's like so, it's like it's like the Supremes, but it's like yeah. this dark, deep thing. And he's singing um, in this falsetto, and it's it's from the point of view of a of a girl. 
it's so it's so strange to me. It's, it's one of the great things I think about the also the fiction of music is that here's this queer man singing a song from the point of view of of a girl who's just had these horrible kinds of experiences, like you know tr- your last ditch lay. Well, I never learn. Um, so it's just this again. It has this like I don't know Phil Spector y weird sonic. Yeah, like yeah, again, like a Supreme song gone kind of wrong or something. Yeah, like a like a Supreme song covered for an art film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like Werner Herzog or yeah, something. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, but uh, so I, you know, they they were this, you know, like a lot of people my age have have very, you know, just some people hate post out of time. Or, you know, there's yeah, all these right, all right. these arguments about them, and. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. I just I continued, and the first time I got to see them was during this tour when I was. Nineteen. Was that when you were in college? Yeah, you went to college in Georgia. I did. So go, I, I went to Athens. Have, oh, no, so it, you were at University of Georgia in Athens. So ah. it was. It was a really strange because you know I, I I grew up. I I got over my teenage fandom, and then I ended up living there and running into these guys a lot. And I I lived. Um, um, my landlord was a video director and painter who directed most of the very early REM videos. So oh, wow. it's, it's a sm- it's a small, great town, and my current partner girlfriend is up there, and I love it. And it's a great kind of hotbed of musical activity. So you know, again, so it's weird. So I ended up being in Athens, and um, I always had questions about the song. I, I never understood the lyric at the beginning. I couldn't tell if he was saying. 90 to nothing or empty to nothing because mm-hmm. I thought empty to nothing means you're just like you're already sapped and you go to even less. Yeah. 90 to nothing is like you're going a thousand miles an hour and then boom, you're just yeah, shut farther down. farther fall. So it is – I got clarification. It was 90 to – it's 90 to nothing. And you got that from Mr. Stipe yeah, himself? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd run into him in weird places every once in a while. The first time I saw him, he had a dinosaur in his head on Halloween at a bar. It was just tied to his head. And then I had a conversation with him about Cone Brothers movies one day. It's totally random, nice. weird stuff. But Athens is a small town. And um, I always loved that lyric that's right at the end where, where um, the woman's been through all this. And she says, a caramel turn on a dusty apology. It's a sweet take on the same old crappy thing the guy's been laying on her. It's like, you know, you try to apologize in a different way to make yourself sound better. Right. And I just – I and. That line, don't leave that stuff all over me. It crawls all over me. That that stuff could be anything. It could be like literal or just like the atmosphere. Yeah. And, then, and again, that's where like the kind of dark supreme thing comes in because they create such a nice haunting that, you know, the woos, the woos you might associate with some beautiful song. And then, you know, the, the person's just – the character in the song has just had enough. And I think that's a real – you know, that, that, that to me is where maybe – um, Stipe as a writer, like kind of push the elasticity of character writing. Because again, we always associate the person singing the song with them. Right. And that's one thing I know, you know, we talk about bio- your shows about biography. As an artist, like just because I did that doesn't mean I am wholly yeah. ethically yeah. obedient to it, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons he chose to sing this song in that voice is because. Everyone thinks, oh, Michael Stipe said I in a song. It must be about him. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a perfect illustration of how we shouldn't necessarily do that to art or artists. And that's a big personal belief of mine. Mm. Is R.E.M. still making music? No, I guess 
you know, I, I, and I hope they stick to it. They broke up and they said, we're not going to do a reunion. We're not going to. They, they re-released like they do right. 20th anniversary releases. But it's kind of cool because, you know, there have been these moments. I was actually in Athens a few weeks ago and I saw um, Peter Buck play with his uh, – in one of his newer bands. He's always in like seven bands at once. Right. So there is still a, an on-the-ground presence in Athens. They, I mean it's, it's a great part of – that town has its own life and it will always have a music scene because of them and the B-52s who I think Jen might be talking about when she does her, her show. I know they're on her – one of her playlists. But um, it will always have that kind of it's one it's a town that will get gentrified and and stuff, but it will always have this kind of core uh, rebellious anxiousness that like I think college towniness. Yeah, and a, the good college, not just you know, not just cornhole and football. <laughs> although that is a huge <laughs> that is a huge part of Athens culture. Um, before we pivot onward, I want to just give a shout out to episode seven. A friend of mine named Amy, who her first song is an REM song that you. Oh, I, she's I, a, I will listen. And she's a great storyteller. So oh. go back to that one. All right, Amy. Um, okay, dancing. You kind of been dancing in the chair a little bit. Are you a dancer out in the real world in front of people? I used to be. You used to be. <laughs> as, Did you as have I've a tragic aged. incident? That... No tragic incidents. <laughs> um, no, I, I, you know, um, I think um, you know it's a little aging. I dance it. I dance in private. Do you dance like when it's obligatory? You know, at the wedding reception. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll kind of do the little white boy saunter or something. Right. Or hip hop, I'll kind of do the hand. So you'll do it in private or here in the studio in I'll front of the I'll do it in here because, well, <laughs> hey guys, I just, I, you know, I, I'm feeling it, you know. It's, yeah. I, I'm, gl- I, I'm actually glad that you listen to this play the songs uninterrupted and just like we sit and listen to them. Yeah, that's we, we that was our first decision was we got to do it, even if it's a 20 minute long song, which it's has happened true. a couple times. Um, <laughs> uh, what about um, singing? Are you a singer? Do you sing uh, um, when you're alone? Do you I, sing along to, you know, songs if there's nobody who, who might judge you? I have a terrible singing voice. Um, I rap. I'm in that. I'm in the rap band. No, oh. um, I'm no way in hell. Am I? Will I pro pro offer any of that right now? Um, so would so will you rap for? Us? No, that's why I'm saying no. Absolutely not. Um, um, okay, I'm not a freestyler. I'm ask a third time. No, I don't. Um, and um, and but I I, I I in in the old school days of Athens. If if any of my friends are hearing this in the early 2000s, we did have a, a karaoke club called Foxes with a Z at the end. And it was in the basement of a of a place, and Barry, the ball headed freaky DJ, who wore a big American shirt with an eagle on the back, was the karaoke DJ. And um, you know, I had some regular karaoke songs with my friend Jen. We used to sing "Beast of Burden." Not nice. awful, but did a, you do the dance? We kind of did the Jagger shimmy. Kinda, kinda yeah, we to, did the right? Jagger shimmy, and um, I did "Mama Said Knock You Out," the L Cool J song. I, I had a few regulars, but. Uh, Alas, I think those days of days what about have what about backing vocals when you were playing with Suave <laughs> Prospects? Well, I mean, I, I helped write I helped write some choruses, but I am pretty musically uh, inept for the most part. I can't play an instrument. Do you have a favorite band? Well, I, I, I would say historically, it's been REM. I mean, R. I just they've their fingers have been in my life now since I was thirteen. So, so and a lot of bands. I've ended up liking, yeah, I kind of found through them the way I think a lot of people 
we found the Velvet Underground through bands like R.E.M. You know, so it's interesting, this, you know, how the, the tentacles reach out. Yeah, yeah. It's like the universe opens up. Is there any uh, band that you've discovered recently that you would want to give a shout out to? I think, you know, I would say, um, I don't know how new, I guess, a shirt, which is um, a rap act on um, Jack, Jack, White, Jack White's label. Mm-hmm. Um, that record is really good. St. Vincent, mm-hmm. I guess that's not super new, right? But relatively new, yeah. I guess. Um, Jenny Lewis, I mean, and, and, um, R- uh, Rilo Kylie, they're not super new, but I just saw Jenny Lewis play and she's amazing. Um, God, I, I knew that was one thing I forgot to do more of. Um, who else have I been listening to that's new? What about mainstream? Are there any acts that you're, that you're a fan of that, that, Everyone oh, like super- listens to, you know? What's like a good sugary pop song that – I don't know. What's a- Bruno Mars is pretty good. I, I wouldn't say no to Bruno Mars. Oh, Beyonce. I mean, who can't not like Beyonce? It's been a while since her name's come up on this show. So I even like the record she just did with uh, Jay-Z, the Carter record. I thought it was really good. So that's something I feel like unabashedly almost everyone – kind of loves i mean she's like on money now isn't she she's like a goddess (laughs) um are there any albums that you will always have to listen through to the very end if you've started them because you love them that much i have have two answers for that one is because i love the record and the other is because i hate it um and i agree with john lasciuto on this uh bitches brew by miles davis i don't think that's a record you could it just goes and it's so weird and atmospheric. Yeah, you wouldn't know when to stop. <laughs> the songs are all 20 minutes anyway, right? So you yeah. might as well just sit down for the whole ride. And um, I committed to buying before um, I heard it because I heard so many bad reviews of it. I bought Lou Reed and Metallica's collaboration, Lulu. And um, me and my friend were reading all those reviews. We thought this was going to be like insane. So we committed to like, I'm going to buy this record. We're going to sit down and we're going to drink whiskey during the whole run of this record and we did that so now i will only i will not listen to one song on that record if i if i'm there i'm going to torture myself by drinking and listening to this record because it's phenomenally absurd and kind of awful i feel like i've got to check it out now it's well you've been warned uh, yeah well <laughs> it's kind of painful but i how I, many times have you been through this process if three yes three okay you don't have to guess <laughs> three yeah i haven't but it's, it's a commitment because i feel like i have to uh, punish myself there are moments that are good i mean i love lou reed again the second time i brought him up i have a, a big affiliation for him and i know john um played walk on the wild side for one of his is there something in inspirational about listening to something that bad in that context. It seems like maybe it would make you think, well, I can do anything now. Or... It's, it's an audacious risk. I mean, it's such a weird combination, I guess. I th- I think most people thought it was absurd. I think for Lou Reed, he, he had that kind of streak where he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll do a record with Metallica. Screw you guys. Right. Sonically, I think he was really into them. And he also got to – there's some lines on that record that are just so strange and come out of Mars. I mean – but um, I do – no, I do admire it because also that, you know, I won't speak for Metallica as much. I like them. But I think Lou Reed was at a point of full artistic control and competence. And it was not – it was probably one of the last things he did. And I was in New York City the day he died. It was very strange. Wow. I was in Nashville the day Johnny Cash died. I feel like I shouldn't go to you like – You need to stick to small I shouldn't towns. go to Athens. Yeah. Uh, REM's going to die. 
Let's hope not. <laughs> um, okay, you mentioned earlier that your last song was tied into a concert experience. Mm-hmm. So where are we going with that? Um, I was in um, Italy, and um, it was 2000, and Midnight Vultures, the record that um, Beck's Mixed Business is on, had, had been out, and he was touring for it. And um, we took a train. Maybe this is a traveling story. We took a train to, I think it was Verona, I don't know if that's the town the concert was in, but um, we um, and I'll talk about the record probably after. But so we people I barely knew got off the train, found the concert venue, took some drugs and what kind um, ecstasy okay. and pr- drank. And I remember it hitting and being and it, if you listen to. This record, it's a perfect record, I feel, to like be at a Beck concert and have that kind of experience. And then we had to figure out how to get home, and we couldn't. And then we had to walk around, and we had to find a hotel. And we, the only way the old people who ran the hotel would let us in was if we lied about being engaged to be married because it was husband and wife. And then we got up in the morning, and we got in a lot of trouble. And, so, and, and this was where? This was in Italy, in like northern, near Verona. And what were you doing in Italy? I was, I was a grad student. I was um, on the UGA study abroad program in Gosh. Cortona. And we, we took a week, uh, a long train ride to go see this um, back concert. Okay. Well, let's listen to this song and we'll jump back into the story. <laughs> uh, this is uh, Mixed Business from Beck's 1999 album, Midnight Vultures. Man, that guy's lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I will say when I, – I, I know I, I think when we were corresponding, I, I picked another song. Honestly, like there's so many that – ho- that's another record. I think it's almost an all the way through. I mean the songs are poppy so you can pick them in pieces. But there's, a, there's one line in Nicotine and Gravy where he says, I'll leave graffiti where you've never been kissed. There's a line in uh, Peaches and Cream, another song on the record, where he says, keep your lamplight trimmed and burning. Um, the line in this that cracks me up is, um, word up to the man thing. I mean, I, I just feel like he I, – I bought this that this album and um, I was in my painting studio. And I had a CD Walkman, so I had my headphones on. And I was there working and there's other people around. And I was just like cracking up laughing. There's so many weird, absurd – images and combinations of things. I always thought of like, you know, I don't know what about mixing business with leather, homework with Heather that makes lesbians scream, but <laughs> it's totally insane. I feel like there's just like a, a great playfulness on that on that record that um, I miss. I think we lost back to Scientology or something in the last, you know, but this is to me. This is like the pinnacle of what I want Beck Beck to be. You know, and I hadn't ever heard that song again, and it was way more accessible to me than a lot of the stuff that I've heard from Beck. I mean, I, I like Beck in principle, yeah. but I've never really like, wow, there's something I want to I listen concur. to all day long. You know, I've, I know that he put out that record last year. I think it was called Colors or something, and I was like, they were like, oh, it's going to be like pop, you know, like more. And it just sounded like watered down, kind of too poppy drivel and I was I was, I was like oh I miss Midnight Vultures like and were the you, cover of it's amazing by the way the, were you already album. a big fan of his when you wound up in Italy with a chance to see his I think I, you know again Loser came out and you right. know and, with, and that record is totally insane um, and and you know, of course he hit big with the uh, two turntables yeah, and the microphone where it's at <laughs> yeah and um, 
So yeah, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't the hugest Beck fan, but when that record came out, I was like, this guy is up my alley because the content of his work it's it's like it's dirty, but it's like oddly dirty. It's so yeah. bizarre. to me, I, I was thinking about today. It's like that song or this record. It's like the new Mad Max, except it's like instead of people just with tanks in the desert, they're like covered in spray paint and rolling around naked or something <laughs> like that. And I would recommend watching the video for that song. It's It, it holds up good. You know, um, and the other thing about him that I like, like I said, in principle, is I know he's just prodigious and that he plays everything and he does everything. He's, he's like just, Prince. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So just knowing that makes me sort of just honor him in, in the, the idea of him if I don't necessarily always listen to his music. I, I think that's, uh, you know, as artists like Lou Reed with that record, as they do some, you know, they, your taste doesn't maybe change as much as theirs does yeah. in their own work. So. Well, and, and I think you'll relate to this as a visual artist. Um, you know, the more you know, the more you can break the rules in some ways. And, and does mm-hmm. that resonate with you as a visual artist? I think so. I think it's interesting that, yeah, you know, when you hear, you know, X band, um, the Eagles or I don't know, somebody like you're like, oh, that's, you know, I know them. You know, you feel like it's like even R.E.M., right? You right. feel like it's the jangly thing. And, yeah. when, and when they do something that's in left field, you go like, Wait a minute. But, you know, internally, like, you know, the band doesn't want to do the same birds jangling. Peter Puck's like, yeah, I know we're jangly. You know, Michael Stipe's like, I know I'm enigmatic. So I I, I do respect um, failures. Um, One of my uh, favorite art critics, Jerry Saltz, always said, when you fail, you should fail spectacularly Uh and fail in public. Yeah. And he says, actually, I wouldn't do it, but uh, don't be afraid to dance naked in public. Like, you know, because that communicates. <laughs> it's not too late. No. Uh, it's not going to happen. <laughs> um, let's just talk a little bit about about your artwork. Are you primarily a painter? I saw your website. You have some drawings on there. But it seems mm-hmm. like you do a lot of large-scale paintings, yeah. very vibrant and sort of surreal and mm-hmm. erotic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, hence the the musical choices, I feel, in, the, in, in some sense, that's the most biographical part. I think they – uh, parallels to my visual work. I guess I was, you know, primarily a oil painter, and it's kind of evolved into more of these. I love doing um, wall paintings. It makes me think of um, Keith Haring, who's one of my favorite mm-hmm. artists that I found as a kid. So um, I wanted to have a kind of, you know, I, I, I like pastel colors. I like vividness and and playfulness in the work because, yeah, I think there's an underlying current in the work that is about eroticism, and I think. Uh, a kind of cloistered American approach to sexuality I'm trying to met, play with, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I I love I love doing a little bit of everything. I guess I'm scared of sculpture. That's hard. Three dimensions. I like I like flatness. You do installations sometimes, or yeah, the wall like this. I consider an installation because it's a wall. Do you ever add a room. musical element to your installations? I know this show has one sort of because you guys have picked songs that are being. This blended is the together. most. This is the most. Usually, no, but um, yeah, I mean, and again, I think it. The I mean, maybe John or, or Jen will Jen might talk about it more too. Like just the way the show built, music started becoming more prominent in it. So. Um, one of my pieces is a a cutout silhouette of a public enemy shirt that I owned. And I do want to mention them because Fear of Black Planet blew my mind when I was 12, no, 13. 
that changed that changed my life because um, it was bombastic in a way I'd never heard music be. But um, I think we all we have elements in our work. I I started to pick works that I thought had a little bit of that musical vibe. But usually I don't do audio. Gotcha. Um, we're pretty much out of time. I just got two more questions. Um, one, um, best album of all time in your opinion? I'll, you know, I'll go Graceland. No, no, no. On Mac for the People. Okay. R.E.M.'s On Mac for the People. And the close second is Graceland. Great close second is Graceland. <laughs> and are there any songs that you always turn off if they come up on the radio, either for you know sound or memory reasons? Oh, it's funny. I heard someone, one of the people you were talking to, and it seemed like it had been a common um, – Answer is that people had a hard time wanting to identify something that they didn't. Well, want to it depends call on the out. personality. Yeah, that's a it's a good personality yeah. test in terms of people how kind and polite I, they are. I love country music, but I will say I really dislike contemporary like pop country. I can't. It's really difficult for me to digest. So I guess that maybe I, I started out avoiding it, and then I like wiped out a whole like genre. So. Sorry if you like pop country music. We'll have to find somebody out there that has three pop country songs. <laughs> and then tie me in a chair and make me listen Exactly. To with whiskey and Lou Reed and Metallica. Uh, <laughs> if someone does a pop country version of Lou Reed and Metallica's Lulu, I will pay you in whiskey. All right. We heard it here first. All right. Any final thoughts? I, you know, I'm sorry if I yak too much. This is great. No. I'm, I'm so happy you guys do the show. It was perfect. And and we will have links to your show on our website. This will come out. That was my phone. I should have turned that off. Um, this will come out after the show's run, I think, is over. But we'll sort it out. We'll link to it and we'll connect you guys. But thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We make this podcast in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the Florida Gulf Coast University campus in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chin Kui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is our online content producer. Chris Duffus is our executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, I'm going back to Orlando in the late 90s at a place that was then called The Club at Firestone, which was in what used to be an old tire shop now apparently called Venue 578. Anyway, I was in town with some friends for two consecutive nights of live music, the first of which was seeing Frank Black from the Pixies play at this little place that maybe held 200 people called the Sapphire Supper Club. Need I say more about how great that was? Then the next night at Firestone, we had the rare pleasure of seeing the band Cake play live. This would have been during their tour for the album Fashion Nugget, which included what may be their most mainstream hit, their cover of I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. Anyway, seeing them on stage playing live was like seeing a unicorn, because they just don't do it all that often, and they are so solid, and the venue is fantastic, etc. I was on the road with great friends, living the life of a dude in his mid-twenties with relatively few cares in the world. The song I've chosen is from Fashion Nugget. This is a live acoustic version that would have been recorded around that same time. It's called Frank Sinatra, and it's probably my favorite song of theirs, so I hope you dig it too. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening.
Now's the time on Sprockets when we dance. Next time on Three Song Stories. Learning the Cheers theme song and singing it to myself. Yeah, I yeah. Doing that. Can That's you sing us a little? No. Good Lord, no. But everything I got. <laughs> <laughs> like Dolly Parton. I should have to get away. Uh, yes, things like that. I think I was, um, I was kind of a creepy kid, like a little strange. Okay. <laughs>